Uh, if this is your first time here, I want to thank you so much for being here. Uh, we're right in the middle of a series called Platforms, and if you, uh, if, you, if you don't know what a platform is, this is what a platform is. A platform is any idea, any focus, any philosophy, anything that anybody else uh, elevates in their life high enough that you can take a stance on it. Uh, it's something that's important to you. It's something that it's a viewpoint. It's a philosophy. It's a it's a it's an idea. It's anything really. It's anything at all. It could be good. It could be bad. It could be wise. It could be foolish. Uh, it could be right. It could be wrong. Um, it could be an opinion or it could be a stated fact. It could be something that's biblical. It could be something that's unbiblical. It could be a twisting of scripture. It could be fully full fledged, right on in context scripture. Uh, it could be it could be a, a myriad of things, a ton of things. Uh, your platforms, our platforms, could be. And the reality of it is, is that that everybody has a platform. Everybody has something that means something to. Them. Them, something that they elevate up uh, to a point that they, they stand on it, take a stance on it. And there's nothing wrong with having a platform in itself because everybody has platforms. I have platforms and you have platforms and this church has platforms and other churches have platforms and politicians have platforms and movements have platforms and business have platforms. Everybody has platforms. Platforms in themselves aren't a bad thing. They're not, they're not a bad thing at all. But when you take a platform it doesn't matter what it is, especially in the church, especially as a follower of Christ, especially as someone who claims to be a follower of Jesus and goes to church and has a church, whether that's a community church or a, a singular church or a denominational church or the big C church as a whole. If, if, any, if you take any platform and you elevate it so high that people that do not know Jesus can't see Jesus over your platform, you're wrong. You're wrong. There's nothing that should be elevated equal to Jesus Christ, equal to the cross of Jesus, equal to what he has done for us. There's nothing like that. And so we, what we, we've done is we, we've taken this series and we've looked at multiple things that the church uh, as a whole, followers of Christ, Christians, different denominations, people that they've taken things and they've elevated them to the point that the world that needs Jesus the most can't see Jesus. We actually take our platforms and things that are important to us and we elevate them to an unhealthy place and we begin to hide the love of Jesus Christ from the world that needs it the most. Does that make sense? Right? So that's what a platform is. In the first week, we talked about a platform that if you take anything, even a biblical thing, and you elevate it so high to the equal of Jesus Christ, and so you don't verbalize it like this, and you don't say it like this, but practically what we paint to the church, I mean, to the world, practically what we do and practically how we handle things is that you have to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, but also do this. Or also believe this, or also think this, or also be a part of this group, or also be a part of this denomination. Does that make sense? In Galatians 5 says it's not about that at all. It's not about, it's not about that. There is only one thing when it comes to you knowing God and you being in a relationship with God, and that is, that is faith in him. That is believing in your heart, confessing with your mouth, and there is no but. There is no something else. There is no other thing to bring to it. And when we do that, we corrupt the gospel, we corrupt the message of Jesus, and we hinder people from coming to know God. And last week, we talked about tradition. We said there, there, there are things in the church, there are things that we take, uh, traditions of denominations, traditions of people, things that usually start off in a good place, but over time, as they're elevated and elevated and elevated and elevated, we start to teach them and preach them like they're equal to the laws of God, and they just aren't. They're just not. And a lot of times we do this because I had a lot of people email me about last week's message. A lot of it was good. Some of it wasn't so positive, but most of it was. And they were saying, well, this, this is what it says, and this is how it says. But a lot of times what we do is, is we don't actually read the Bible. And that was the ending point of the message last week was, was that we, don't, we, we, we have a key to the knowledge. We have, a, we have a key to the knowledge, but we don't go in it. And because we don't go in it and we don't know it and we begin to elevate things that God never elevated or elevate things and start speaking for God when God never spoke it, we actually will hinder people from coming to know the knowledge of Jesus. So anytime that we elevate anything in our life, it's going to become a problem. It's going to become an issue. Does that make sense? 
Right? And, and that's what the series is about. And so I want you, I want you to understand today, because and, and today we're going to talk about something. And just for a, the first few minutes, your, your, your little Christian radars are going to go off. All right? The little, the, little, the little thing inside of you, you're going to... You're going to make a stupid face. Right? It's okay. We, get, we make stupid faces. But I want you to just... I want you to just... I want you to just... Shh. And listen, because when I was growing up, I noticed something about the church. I noticed, I noticed something. And, and this, is the, this is the thing, I think, that, that, has, been, that has been driving me and my heart and my passion through the series and through this concept of life. And as, I, as I, 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 you know, pastoring and leading people, this has always been a thing for me, is, is, is what I, growing up, being associated with some of the churches I associated, I spent many, many years not going to church at all, and the few church experiences I had um, weren't necessarily positive ones, and I began to develop this attitude towards Jesus. I, I began to develop this picture of Jesus in my mind that the church was painting for me, and what bothered me is that when I, and I actually wrote, I've, I've been writing uh, stuff, and I have, I've been too scared to put it out there yet, but I've been writing stuff, and, and, the chat, and one of the chapters is called, Why I Hated the Church Before I Knew Jesus. And the second chapter is called, Why I Hated the Church After I Knew Jesus. Because I hated the church before I knew Jesus because of the picture that they painted of Jesus. And then I hated the church after I got to know Jesus because of the picture that they painted of Jesus. Because when I started to get to know Jesus and know what Jesus was really about and know what he really thought and know what his mission really was and know what he really represented and know what he really stood for, it did not line up with the vast majority of the way that the modern American Christian church has painted them for the world. Right? And so this is what's driving me. And this is one of the things, this is one of the things that, that I, I has been in, and I've been, I've been hesitating. And it was a part of me this week when Courtney like, texted me for the 19th time and was like, get ready. I think we're going to the hospital. I think this is it. And this is real. And a few minutes later, sad face, it quit. <laughs> I think like what, what was going on in my emotions is because I've been, this is, this is the one that I think has been, it's, been, it's just been deep in me all, all for a long time. To talk about this, because as I was growing up, do you know what I, I eventually, I, I, my first real thought of, of the church was? My, my, if I, I went back and I thought about it. My first real uh, thought of the church and picture of, of Jesus in the church, I thought that the mission of the church, and you may, you may have seen this or you may not have, or you may have been a part of it, so you probably don't see it, um, but what I believe, truthfully, what I believe that the job of the church was, the mission of the church was, was to eradicate sin from the world. That's what I, that's, that's what I, based off the sermons that I heard, the things that I saw, that's what I thought. I thought, I thought the, the church, they hate sin and they want everybody to quit sinning. And there was this old South Carolina country preacher who screamed a bunch and, and there was this, there was this girl and this was one of the first, I was, I think I was 14 or 15 and I went there for about six or seven weeks and, and, and I, and I went in and, and, and the first day, the first day he comes up and he comes out and, and he actually said at one moment, I think this, I'll never forget this as long as I live. I, I used to. I used to love crack rocks, but now Jesus is my crack, or something like that. That was like in the first five minutes. And I was just like, oh, dear God. <laughs> and so he started, he just started screaming. And the whole thing was about sin, and the whole thing was about, and, and, and his top three, his top three, smoking, drinking, and having sex, had an obsession with smoking, drinking, and having sex. You don't need to smoke, you don't need to drink, you don't need to have sex. And then he would always warn you. And not right, I mean, it, no matter what he started off preaching, he got to this. And then he would always say, and God's always watching. 
And then he would always find a way to throw this in there. That's right. He was watching you in the backseat of that car, and then he would just point into the crowd. And I was just like, what the heck is always going on in the backseat of cars? <laughs> Every week. I'm like, and then in my mind, in my mind, I'm like, does this dude think that's the only place people kind of, you know, not like the bedroom or the couch, the backseat of a car. That's just where people do it, I guess. I don't know. In this guy's mind. But every single week, and I remember week after week after week after week after week, this was just it. And there was just, this is what sin is, and this is, and there was just this massive elevation of sin. And you need to quit sinning. You just need to come to Jesus. You need to quit sinning. And so, like over time, and then and then I had a few more church experiences, and that was basically the whole thing was just like, this is what sin is, and you need to quit sinning. This is what sin is, you need to quit sinning. This is what sin is, you need to quit sinning. So I developed, as so many people do, that the idea of the church and what the church is here for is to show sin and stop you from sinning, so we eradicate sin from the world. Right? That's the mission of the church. Right? No, yeah, no, you don't know what to say because you're like, I actually think that, I thought that's what it was. <laughs> Is this the part that I make the stupid face on? Right, we think it's we we think it's our job to eradicate sin, and we do this so well because this is this is what we take mass. We will the church will spend massive amounts of money, massive amount of resources, massive amount of time. We'll go and lobby the government to so, to make sure that the world knows what we think sin is. Right, well, I'm telling you, dude, we we want everybody to know, and this is this is this is a, uh, an obsession, and the one, and I'm going to come back. And I already, somebody told me already told me this week told me you're, 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 I think you're, you're taking a, a, the progressive route, progressive Christianity, because you're not condemning homosexuality. And I said, I said, okay, one thing you don't know what progressive Christianity is, or you've never heard me preach, because I am so far the polar opposite of progressive. If there's anybody that would hate me and my style and what I stand for the most, it's the progression Christian movement. All right, because I believe every single word in this Bible is true, and I don't give a flying crap about offending people. All right, that's uno number one to be a part of the progressive churches. You're not allowed to offend people. If you have been here more than eight and a half seconds, have one single conversation with me ever, then you know that's the least of my worries, right? To not condemn something is not to be for it. To not condemn something is not to be for it. This is my question to you. Why do we have this crazy unhealthy obsession with making sure the world knows that homosexuality is a sin. Have you ever thought about that? Why, why, is, why is the church so upset? Why do we have commercials and we have TVs and we have sermon series? Why do, we do, why do we look into the world and we say, this is sin, this makes you a sinner, you are guilty of sin, this is sin, this is sin, this is sin, this is sin. And we don't just do it with that. We just elevate sin in general. We just take it up to this big thing. We say, everybody needs to know what sin is. You need to know what sin is. You need to know that you're a sinner. It's all about sin. We've got to eradicate sin. We've got to take sin out. We've got to do sin. Be gone with sin. Sin is evil. Sin is wrong. Sin is bad. Go away, sin. Isn't that what we do? If you, if you grew up in church and the thing that you heard preached the most was sin or something along the lines of what I'm saying, I would just like to see a show of hands. If you grew up in church and that was a big, huge portion of the message, week in and week out was sin, 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 don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't smoke, don't drink, don't have sex, especially not in the backseat of cars, just don't do it. And over time, you kind of develop this thing of like, and then, and then your relationship with Jesus is all about what? It's all about not sinning. When you sin, has forgiveness, and then you're fine. And so when you're, when you're, when you're, you're throwing up this, this, this hyper-focus on sin, what the end thought process of that is Christianity and God and, the, and faith in God and relationship with God comes all about not sinning and avoiding hell. And that is not what Jesus 
was about. Period. Hmm. Now nah, we'll save that. So maybe not. This is what this is what Jesus comes in. And, and the thing that I, I want you to understand is because I told you, I told you, first few minutes, your you're gonna your little radar is gonna be up. And you're gonna be like, is he about to be a heretic? Is he about to say something? Okay, I know what sin is because I can read the Bible. I know what sin is, I can read the Bible. Do you know what it is to look into someone else's life? See sin, say it's sin, say they're a sinner because they're sin and then they're guilty of sin. Do you know what, when you, when you look into someone else's life and you do that, do you know what you've become in that moment? Ooh, man, you are good. Judge. Judge. Jesus talks about that. You guys ready for this? Matthew chapter 7. I'm trying my best not to go where I want to go, but I'm not going to do it. Matthew 7, chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, read this. If not, it's going to be on the screen. I'm going to read it really slow. I'm going to read it really slow. I'm going to say it really slow. You ready? Do not judge. Do not judge. Do not judge. Just for clarity, I want to say again what judge is. Judge is when you, it's when you make a decree. It's when you, this is what a judge is. When you, you have the law or you, you have, you have, you have this, this thing of what sin is and then you say, listen, this is what sin is and there's sin in your life so you're a sinner, you are guilty of sin and I need you to know that. I need you to know that you're guilty of sin, you are a sinner, I see sin in your life, I say that you're a sinner because I see sin in your life and I just have this overwhelming compulsion to tell you that you have sin in your life, that this is a sin or that's a sin and this is a sin and you are a sinner and you are guilty of sin because you have sin in your life. You are making a judgment. You are declaring yourself a judge. And then this is the problem, because this is what everybody, what you're going to hear me, even though I'm not saying it, what you're going to hear me say is, we don't need to call sin, sin. Is that what I'm saying? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying that sin is sin is sin. Sin's always going to be sin. Sin is sin. Sin is sin. If the Bible says it's a sin, it's a sin. Deal. Period. End of the conversation. But when you take something and you look in, you take the law or you take Jesus' teaching or you take the Ten Commandments or you take the moral law or you even take the ceremonial law, which is what tattoos are under. Oh, you guys think I wasn't going to bring that up? Read the Bible, man. You take any portion of the law and you look into someone else's life and you say, I see the law, I see sin in your life, you are, this is sin, you're a sin, you're a sinner, you're guilty of sin, you have now have elected yourself a judge. Does that make sense? When you look into someone else's life and you say sinner, now you don't want to verbalize it like this because the Christian church, we don't want to do this, but that's what we do, left and right. We, want, we have this thing where we want, to, we want to elevate sin, we want to elevate certain sins, specific sins, then we want to climb up on there with our gavel and we want the world to know this is a sin, this makes you a sinner and you are guilty of sin. And then we go, the Bible says it, so I'm righteous in what I'm saying, we are, but you're a judge in that moment. And Jesus says, don't judge. That not, that's not negating the sin in anybody's life, but when you elevate yourself up and declare yourself judge, you take on the responsibility of God. That's not your responsibility. James says there's one lawgiver and there's one judge, and it's Jesus Christ. He's the judge. So when you elevate yourself up and you're a judge, this is going to pose problems. And Jesus says, don't do it. 
And this is a warning. And I want you to understand, this is, you, you can just look at this because maybe you've heard it before. Or you can just look at this and see the surface level. Or you can look at it and see the deep spiritual meaning and the deep spiritual warning that Jesus Christ is giving to his people. He says, do not judge because if you judge, you will be judged. And in the same way that you judge others, that's the way that you're going to get judged. With the same measure that you measure against someone else, that's going to be the measure used against you. Do you hear me? No, I don't think you did. I don't think you get it. Don't judge, because if you judge, you're going to be judged. In the same way that you choose to judge other people is the same way that you will be judged. The same measure, and that word measure just means what is good enough. The same measure that you measure against people, the same measure that you use to judge others, that's the measure that's going to be used to judge you. And here's the thing. When you stand up as a human being in all your greatness and glory and stupidity and you judge people, you are, whatever measure you do, who's going to judge you the same way that you're judging them? Jesus Christ. You hear me? So don't go back over the course of your life. Try your best to be honest with yourself just for a second and say, if Jesus Christ at the end of time, standing before eternity, judges you in the way that you've judged other people, how is that going to go for you? You, 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 you with me yet? And what is it in you? What is it in the church? What is it in religion? What is it in Pharisees? What is it in people that we have this overall obsession with making sure people know what sin is and that they're sinners? Don't, don't say the gospel. Don't say the gospel. Don't, don't hyper-justify this sin in your life by saying it's about the gospel because you don't do it from a heart of love. You do it from a heart of condemnation, a heart of Pharisee, a heart of hypocrite, and a heart of judgment. You don't do it because you love them. You do it because it stands against something. You, you have this obsession with this thing or that thing or whatever that is. And you, and you and listen, and we isolate people, an entire group of people. We've isolated them. And the younger generations especially are looking into the church, and they are not okay with it. Because God forbid they start to read the Bible, and they realize what a hypocrite you are. You guys, <laughs> This is so funny. Or it's dangerous and deadly. Jesus doesn't stop. He says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? This is Jesus now. Why are you so addicted to the sin out in the world when you are not paying attention to the sin in your own life and in the own church? I'm just going to throw something out there. And this isn't to condemn anybody, judge anybody. I come from a broken home. There, divorce is an absolute epidemic in the Christian church today, and it has been for years. Over 50% of followers of Jesus Christ get divorced for unbiblical reasons. You could hear a pin drop. Right? We don't talk about that. Do you know that what the most extreme teaching that Jesus has is about divorce? Do you know that he talks about divorce multiple times and he lays down a standard that I, I'm almost afraid to tell you about right now because of what it makes us and what it does and what it leads up to, the damages that it causes in our lives and around us and the, and the ongoing problems that it creates in our lives. But you don't ever hear anybody going, we're going to have a series on divorce. 
We're going to all unite together and take a stand against divorce. We're going to let the news and the media know that we are against divorce. We're going to, here's the deal. Divorce is 10 times, 100 times, 500 times the epidemic in the Christian church that homosexuality is, but we don't ever talk about it. What does that sound like? It sounds like we're looking into other people's lives and for fear or whatever it is, ignoring the massive issue in the church. Did you just hear what I said? Homosexuality is a sin because the Bible says it's a sin. I don't have a problem in the world by saying that. But when you hyperventilate yourself, to tell people that homosexuality is a sin and you're ignoring the massive pornography addiction in your own life, the anger issues in your own life, the brokenness in your own life, when you're not, when you're at the pride that you live on, the greed that drives you, do you hear what I'm saying? You have this obsession. You've become a judge. You pour out you this obsession to elevate this one sin or to lift this one sin up and to isolate this group of people or talk about sin like it's this thing, like you're mad at the world, like you hate life. And, and all this stuff, but then you've got, all this stuff in your, you've got all this stuff in your life that you're ignoring. She said, how can you do that? How can you be a judge and judge someone else's life? How can the big C church completely ignore some pretty massive issues in the church? We won't talk about it. We're not going to teach about it. We're definitely not going to go get picket signs about it, even though that it's something that affects over 50% of the church. Do you know what a percentage of homosexuality is in the church? 3%. Now, I'm just saying, doesn't that sound to me like a speck and a plank? If you were here for the Uncensored series, you remember the massive porn academic that exists in the church today. But dude, I was chastised for talking about, you know, I'm not supposed to talk about porn in church. Why? You're looking at it at night. What's the... My kids don't have that problem. Oh, they're the half percent. Okay. Yeah, all of them. I got you. The whole half percent goes to our church. Good for us. We don't want to talk about it, we don't want to ignore it, but dude, come to homosexuality, doesn't matter, Baptist, Methodist, doesn't matter, we all get together. We're like, we hate homosexuality, woo! And we look like absolute fools. Absolute fools. I remember I went to a concert with my cousin once. Uh, it was the end of summer, Weenie Rose in Charlotte. Remember when they used to have those? Everybody's like, I, I didn't go there. <laughs> I did, it was awesome, I loved it. And I remember there was, these, there, was these, there was these these Christians over here in the side. Was, I don't know, it was like 25 or 30 of them. And they were standing around the gates, and they all had these signs, and they were chanting this chant. And I will never forget this as long as I live. I was like 14 or 15, I can't remember. And, I, and they were saying, learn to pray the gay away, or you will burn in hell today. And they were, they were picketing one of the bands that were there. The lead singer was openly gay. And, you know, with them. But they were there. That was, that was the love of Christ they were showing everybody that day. Learn to pray the gay away. Or you will burn in hell today. I remember sitting there going, I don't want anything to do with them ever. Ever. I still struggle today to associate with most Christians because of the pathetic absurdities that come out of their mouths. The unchristlike hmm, judgment. Because you're one stone's throw away from hatred. And we're supposed to be what? Love. And when it just a, just and everybody's like, well, does that really happen around here? The guy who said put all the homosexuals in a fence so that they will die out is like five miles up the road. Oh, that was him. Oh, okay. Even even in even down here in our in our neck of the woods, this is a country. 
But nobody got up. Do you know what, do you know what would have been more Christ-like? To when that dude went on that rant for us to go up and picket him. That would have been more like Christ. You ever read the Bible? Who did Jesus have the least amount of patience with? Pharisees, religious leaders, leading people away from Jesus, leading people away from God. Y'all with me? I know it's uncomfortable. I know it's weird. I know. I know. You don't make yourself a judge. And this is his response. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye when all the time there is a plank in your own? You hypocrite. You hypocrite. To Jesus, definition of hypocrite is when you look into someone else's life, you are more concerned with the sin in someone else's life than you are in your own life. And this happens all the time. We, complete, we will literally rain down fire and judgment. All parents, listen to me. All your parents got teenagers. Somebody else, somebody else messes up. Somebody else gets caught in the backseat of a car. Somebody else gets caught doing all this thing. You will absolutely rain down. You're like, I know that girl. She's just like that. I just knew her the whole time. I was like, you're not hanging out with my kids. You're not hanging out with my kids. Ignoring ignoring the mass amount of sin in your own family's life. And then when it happens to yours, there's just, you're just like, <laughs> just kids will be kids. <laughs> right? Hypocrite. Hypocrite. Soak that in. Hypocrite. Barna did a study, in, I think in the mid-2000s, and he, he interviewed uh, like thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people who, wanted to be un, who, who claimed to be unchurched, were proud of it, didn't want to associate with the church, and the number one, number two reasons, hypocrisy and judgment. So I know there's a lot of people that's going to want to fight me on this one. Yeah, but it's literally been researched and studied. Jesus knew what he was saying. Jesus understood the problems that it would bring to this world, what it would bring to the church, how it would shift people away. People are standing outside and they're seeing you. They're seeing us just elevate all this sin over here. Very, very few specific sins. Very, very few specific sins. Right? And then they look into the Bible and they don't see us upholding anything else or focusing on anything else. We just wonder why. And then, and then we're forced to say this statement right here, which makes you an absolute liar, loser, whatever you want to fill in. Oh, homosexuality is more deadly. Homosexuality, is a, it's, a bigger, it's a bigger sin. It, 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 it's, more, it's, more, it's more evil. You in that moment are made a liar. You're misrepresenting Scripture. And you're leading people away from Jesus because you're a hypocrite. I really like the first two messages, but this one's just really, <laughs> this is messing with me. I'm sorry I always make you sound stupid when I talk for you. I don't mean to do that. <laughs> but that's what Jesus said. He says, you hypocrite. He keeps going. And this is the second warning. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And this is the thing I want you to hear me the most on this morning. Because when you, when you elevate yourself to be a judge, 
and you become consumed. You, you elevate certain sins or sin in general up to this, this unhealthy level and they have this massive focus on in this thing and you, you elevate yourself as a judge so that you can condemn and you can say sin, sin, or guilty, sin, sin, or guilty, sin, sin, or guilty. Jesus says in that moment, he goes, you're ignoring all this stuff in your life and you have made yourself powerless to actually help the people who need help the most. Did you hear what I said? So in your, in your effort to help people by being unlike Jesus, conv- I mean, absolutely focusing in on the condemnation of others, totally ignoring their own sin in your own life, in your own family, in your own church, in your own denomination, totally ignoring the traditions that are being elevated, totally ignoring the, the things that we start to resemble more hatred than love, totally ignoring all of that. He says, you become blind. You, you cannot see clearly. You cannot help the ones that need it the most. And his reason, he says, you hypocrite. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Let's just, let's just play a game. If there was somebody struggling with homosexuality or somebody struggling with some other sin or somebody struggling with something, and they're, and they're going to a concert and they're young and there's people over here screaming and, and you're burning in hell and you're going, what? what? You're like, oh, man, they're right. I, just, I need to go over there and seek some advice from those guys. Right? Here's the thing, and this is, this, is that, this is that weird dichotomy that you just have to chew on for a while to understand. And you just need to read scripture, you need to pray about it, and come to your own conclusions. Why were sinners totally, absolutely okay with Jesus Christ? And the Pharisees hated him. Why, why was Jesus accused of being sinners? You can't be friends with somebody that's not friends with you back. Everybody's like, Jesus, friend of sinners. Remember that song? That's a song, right? Right? Sounds just like that. How can Jesus be a friend of sinners if they're not friends with him back? There was something about Jesus' life they looked into and they were like, I'm not 100% sure, but I, I, there's something there. I want that. I want to be around him. I like him. Jesus was perfect and righteous. He was nothing like them, yet they loved him and they wanted to be around him. And he was nothing like them, but he wanted to be around them. Does that represent you in your life? Does that represent the vast majority of the modern-day denominational church? The big C church. Does it? The world doesn't want anything to do with us as a whole. Because they see hypocrites and they feel judgment and they feel condemned. People didn't didn't balk at Jesus when he brought up the idea of sin. Because it was the way that he did it. He did it with genuine love. Not judgment, not condemnation, definitely not hatred. And I want to take you, I'm going to take you to, to one more thing. Just in, in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul starts to have this conversation. He writes this letter, and they take it the wrong way. So he has to write this, uh, this, this, this letter he's writing right now to right the wrong. All right, and this is, this is what it says. It says, I have written you in my letter. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. That was from the first letter, the letter, the other letter that he's referring to. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy or the swindlers or the idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. So I want to be very clear what he's saying here. He's saying, when I, when I wrote you before and I said, don't hang out with sexually immoral people, I was not saying don't hang out with the sexually immoral of the world. And that what, that's what it says, right? I'm not blind, and, and that, that's what it says right there. Not at all meaning the people of this world. You hear me? Are we on the same page? 
Let me tell you who he said not to hang out with. But now I am writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother or sister, that is a follower of Christ, a Christian, but is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater or a slanderer, a drunkard, a swindler, with such people do not even eat. Hypocrites. He says, don't, what the people that, that claim that they follow Jesus, the people that say, I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus, but they have continual unrepented sin in their life. They will not humble themselves before God. They will not say that this is sin. They will keep going and keep going and keep going and keep going and keep going. He says, these are the people because they are hypocrites, because they are giving Jesus a bad name, because they're misrepresenting the image of God and what salvation is, because they are misrepresenting everything that we're talking about. Don't even associate with those people. but associate with the sinners of the world. You ever read that before? A little preacher that was consumed with what was going on in the back seats of cars. I, I don't know that he'd ever read that. Associate with the sinners of the world. Don't associate with the ongoing massive hypocrites in the church. And then he says this powerful, powerful sentence. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will, be, God will judge those outside. What business is it of ours to judge those outside the church? Now, I didn't say that. That's what, that's what Paul said. Paul planted more churches than you would ever go to. Now, doesn't that almost go against like this this, this mantra over the last couple generations? What business is it of mine to judge the world, to judge people outside the church? It is not your business to judge the world. One lawgiver, one judge, and that's Jesus Christ. Taylor, you can go ahead and come up here. One of the things that this, this week as I've been praying and and suddenly there was this, this overwhelming thing. And this, this one concept just started to kind of come to my heart and my mind. And I was just like, what, why are we so bad? Why, why, where did we develop this just absolute insane passion for certain sins? Or making sure everybody knows this is a sin. Or elevating sin and making it such. Why, why, where did this passion come from? And then, is, is Jesus passionate about that? Like, like, we're, like we're passionate about that? The answer is obviously no, he's not. But what is Jesus passionate about? What was Jesus' passion? What was he most passionate about? Jesus had some platforms in his life. What were they? What, 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 what were a few of the things that, that, he just, that he was just so passionate about, he continually came back to, that he elevated high? One, obviously, love. Love. And he was even answered, what's the most important commandment? His answer was, love God with all your heart, all your soul, and your mind. The second is just like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love love. So remember, go back to the Matthew 7. Judge. Do not judge or you will be judged. In the same way that you judge others, this is the way that you will be judged. The same measure that you use against others, this will be the measure used against you. So the question is, how do you want to be judged? I don't want to be judged. I don't want to be judged, actually. And if I am judged by Jesus, which I will be, I would love him to use mercy and love and compassion. Because, dude, I'm about the worst sinner you've ever met in your life. I've, I've sinned more times than I could ever count. And I'm not talking about like the little, the little. I'm talking like dude, I was a sinner. Paul said I was a chief of sinners. I'm like, dude, I'll give you a run for the money. And when I stand before Jesus, man, I hope and I pray 
I hope and I pray and I believe in faith that he will have mercy on me. And he will come at me from a place of compassion and a place of love. And so for that reason, if and when it comes time to judge even people in the church, I will judge with mercy and compassion and love. And I will never judge those outside the church because that's not my business. That's the business of my father. So this morning, how do you want to be judged? What what measure of judgment do you want brought down on your head? If I were you, I would start judging other people the same way. But there was another passion that Jesus had. And this thing just captivated me this week. And it's a place you you don't think about it. you, You don't see it at first until the disciples, they remembered this key scripture about Jesus. But it was when Jesus, he, he was walking through the, the, the town and he, he came to the temple and all the money changers were there. And they, they, had, they, had, they were selling all, they were basically like taking these sacrifices and buying them for cheap and jacking them up and, and having a monopoly. And they were like uh, basically ripping people off, ripping the people of God off. And, and they were just making tons of money and trying to profit from the sacrificial system. And they were just, they had just turned God's house into like a marketplace. And Jesus set out, I mean, this is premeditated assault. He sits out. He makes a whip thinking about it. I'm going to get him. I get inside there. Everybody's like, well, he probably wasn't whipping people. Yeah, why'd he make a whip? He doesn't need justification. He's holy and righteous. He could burn the whole place up. He'd be totally fine doing so. Sits outside. He makes a whip. He walks in. He flips tables over. He, and he wasn't whispering like the little Jesus videos from the 70s. He's yelling. And he's, he's frustrated. He's hurting. He's angry. And he's flipping over tables. And he's whipping something and he starts declaring this is my father's house this will not be a den of wolves this is my father's house this is a house of prayer and he just absolutely loses his mind in a holy way and as the disciples are just like they remembered a scripture that was about him and this is the one the Lord laid on my heart John 2, 17, he says, right in this moment, his disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Passion for your house will consume me. The house of God, the temple of God, this is where people came to commune with God. This is where people came to get right with God. This is where the lost came. This is where the sinners came to to lay sacrifices before God, to pray to God, to get right with God, to be in a relationship with God. Before Christ died, this was where this took place. This was the only place that this took place was in the temple. So his zeal for his father's house, he said it's about prayer. It's about coming to God. It's about people that need God coming to God and finding them. It's an and anything that's going to corrupt that reality, I'm, I'm going to make a whip and I'm going to chase them out. I'm going to flip the tables over. I'm going to take care of it. His zeal and his passion were for people coming to know his father. Does that make sense? That was what his, his passion. The sin, on, the only reason we have sin, the only reason we focus on sin at all, at all, is because that's the thing that separates us from being in a relationship with God. And the mission isn't to eradicate sin. The mission is to introduce them to the loving compassion and mercy of Jesus Christ because he died for our sins so that when they put their faith in him, that all those sins and the power of sin is taken from their life and now they can commune and they can pray and they can be in relationship with God. That's the mission. 
The mission isn't about eradicating sin. You'll never eradicate sin. Sin will always be present. You're born into sin, and if you don't put your faith in Jesus Christ, you will die in sin, period. But the focus was never on sin for sin's sake or to elevate it up and to make sure the whole world knows what we're against. That's not what it was. It was about people coming to know the Father. And he proved this time and time and time again. But none more evident than when the Pharisees brought before them the woman caught in adultery and laid her down before Jesus. And they said, this woman was caught in adultery. She is a sinner. She deserves death by the law. So we need you to kill her. What are you, you going to have us do with her, Jesus? Since you're the Son of God, since you're the Son of God, since you're the perfect Holy One, since you're the Messiah, since you're who, here we are, the religious leaders bringing before Jesus, bringing before the world this woman caught in adultery. She was caught in adultery. She was a sinner. She was lost. She was eaten up with sin in her life. And the religious people brought her before Jesus to be condemned. Isn't that what you want at the end of the day? Isn't that, why, isn't, that why, isn't that why we judge others at the end of the day? Because we want somebody or something and ultimately God to say that they are guilty, they are sinners, they deserve death, they are evil, they are wrong. Isn't that the heart behind most unloving judgment? We want it to be clarified and we want them to get what they deserve. You never verbalize that, but that's what you think. You know what Jesus said? He said, all right. All right. Those of you without sin, cast the first stone. And they just stood there. And then he, he wrote some stuff in the sand, which I just think is so mind-boggling and so cool. I'm convinced that he began to write their own sins. I'm convinced of it. That's just, that's what, I doesn't say that for sure, but that's what I'm convinced of. I'm convinced that as he said that, he started writing in, writing in, the, writing in all their sins. And he said, go ahead. Those of you without sin, and he said the older ones walked away first. The older ones turned and, and they began to walk away because I think they live long enough to know. I'm eating up with it too. And one by one, they all walked away. And here's the, here's the thing that, that held on to me the most. And this is the thing I want you to hear me, church. And I'm speaking to just my people, just our people right now. Jesus looked down at, at, at the girl and said, where are your accusers? This is significant. Significant. Where are your accusers? No one, no one here condemns you. I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. No stoning, no death, no condemnation. He said, I don't condemn you either. Now go, don't sin anymore. There's power in that. But the thing that, the thing that hit me hard this week was what he referred to, the ones that brought her. Where are your accusers? Hear me, church. Those of you who judge, those of you, you live by this standard. You've just, you've just in your self-righteousness, you've just built this up. You gotta accuse, you gotta tell, you gotta make sure the world knows what's in it. You gotta let them know. You gotta let them know they're sinners. You gotta tell them. That's your duty as a Christian. That's your duty as a Christian. You gotta tell them that they're sinners. You gotta accuse them. You gotta let them know. Do you know what they refer to Satan as? The accuser. The accuser. Jesus is the judge. Satan is the accuser. Jesus says they're not condemned because of their faith in me. But they're bringing her to be judged, to be condemned because of sin in their life. So in your life, especially those who you grew up in church, especially those you've, you've, just, you've, just, fallen, you've just done the Christian thing your whole life, who do you have more in common with? Jesus in that moment or Satan? 
That seems a little extreme. No, it's not. Because you're operating in the same exact way that Satan himself does. Bringing accusations against the people of God. Accusing them. He's not lying. He's telling them, you, this is sin. You are a sinner. You are guilty. You are condemned. And then Jesus in his love and in his mercy because of his perfection of life and the sacrifice that he made on the cross, he is the only one that has the right to look down and say, not condemned. Now go and sin no more. So who are we going to be more like? What kind of church are we going to have? What kind of church are we going to build? Are we going to spend most of our life walking around accusing people of sin? This is sin. You need to quit. This is sin. You need to quit. Are we going to be like Jesus? And we are going to come to them in their sin and say, there is no condemnation in Christ. It doesn't matter what your sin is. He has defeated it all. He's defeated it all on the cross. Come to them in love. I know you're suffering. I know you're struggling. I know this is difficult. I know these religious people took you out of your house and they caught you in the sin. They probably had you in prison all night waiting to bring you here to condemn you. And I know that you were convinced that you were going to die. But I'm here to tell you that there is hope in Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter what sin is in your life. Doesn't matter what's going on. You put your faith in Jesus. Jesus died for all sins. The sins you admit to, the sins that you don't. Sin has no power when it comes to Jesus Christ at all. But we empower judgment, we empower condemnation, and we look more like the Pharisees and more like Satan himself when we spend the majority of our life throwing out accusations at the world. Most of the time ignoring our own stuff in our lives. Jesus says, be careful. Be careful. So my question to you would be, all you religious people, do you want your lives to resemble that of Jesus Christ? Be filled with love and mercy and compassion? Or do you want to keep walking up on a platform of judgment and condemnation, making sure the whole world knows what we're against? I don't care what we're against. What I'm for is Jesus Christ. What I'm zealous about and passionate about is our Father's house, people coming to know Him, people coming to place their burdens, their sins at His feet so that they can find the forgiveness and the love and the mercy that I have What judgment will a Christian have who lives in the grace of God but denies it to other people and judgment? I don't even want to think about that. So today, as we worship, I want to encourage you. Evaluate your life. As a Christian, as a believer, who have you, be honest with yourself, who have you resembled more, Jesus or the Pharisees? And be cautious of how you judge because this will be how you're judged. There should be nothing elevated high in your life than the love of Jesus Christ. And if there is anything elevated high enough to hide that, you are wrong. And many of us need to repent of this sin in itself. For clarity, sin is sin. But I'm not the judge. Jesus is the judge.